If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome, everybody. I'm Enrico Signoretti, your host, and this is Voices in Data Storage, brought to you by Gigam. Today, we will talk about how data storage architecture have evolved over the years. From monolithic to scale-out design, from hardware to software-defined, different media types, different technologies, everything that changed how that is organized, protected, and stored in the backend or accessed in the front-end. My guest for this episode is Bill Borsari, Director of System Engineering at Datera, a startup that has heavily embraced this new architecture design paradigms. I met him last February at uh, Storage Field Day 18 after almost three years, and we had some interesting conversation about flexibility and adaptability of new storage platform when compared to other ones. Hi, Bill, how are you? Hi, Enrico. I'm doing very well today. Thank you. So thanks for accepting my invite and joining me today. Why don't we start with a brief introduction of yourself and your company? Sure. Thank you very much. So. My name is Bill Borsari. I'm the Director of Systems Engineering for Deterra. Um, me and my team help customers uh, understand and deploy the Deterra technology in their data center environments. Deterra is a, first and foremost, a storage technology, uh, really designed to help bridge a gap between the traditional infrastructure requirements and the modern infrastructure requirements. And the reason why we feel this product is necessary is there's a tremendous change underway in terms of how services are delivered in the data center, um, how companies' relationships with the cloud, uh, whether that be uh, an on-prem or a third-party technology like an Amazon or Google, um, and for the customers that uh, Deterra is, is helping, also dealing with the legacy technologies, the, the, the technology that they've been executing in their infrastructure uh, and running for many years and helping them bridge that gap between those two aspects. So we said differences between traditional and next generation data storage system and uh, you know, helping an organization to bridge the gap between uh, uh, legacy and next generation uh, architectures. So there is a lot to talk about here, probably too much for a single episode, but uh, well, I'm not even sure where to start here, but uh, let's start from the basic. So in your opinion, what were the, the major factors that drove this change? I mean, new media types like flash, faster CPUs, networks from the infrastructure point of view, but also from, you know, from, uh, from the outside, I mean, in the cloud and the uh, new agile kind of development uh, processes what was the main factor sure you know i think what's what's happening now is a a change in the way applications are designed and delivered uh, is really driving the largest impact of the data center Uh, if we think back to uh, 2008 when flash media was beginning to become available in a number of form factors uh, and the prices were beginning to come down we saw a number of entrants into the, the storage market. Um, 
companies such as Pure Storage and Nimble, uh, Tintree, the, the, the list is very, very lengthy to, to, to rattle them off. Those companies were formed around Flash. That Flash was a revolutionary in sto- uh, revolution in storage that they were trying to attack in the marketplace. And, and I think as we come forward, uh, what's happened is the applications themselves um, have also been adapted and changed uh, in such a way that it really challenges what it means to have traditional shared storage. Uh, take, for example, uh, an application like Cassandra, a very, very popular way of delivering uh, a database style service uh, in a scale out application platform. You don't want to run all of your Cassandra instances off a traditional dual head array uh, because you lose some of the benefit of what Cassandra can offer in terms of of uh, distribution across nodes, racks, uh, really changing the failure domain. Uh, and it's done that because it has its own uh, built-in data services. So that's just one example of a of a new style application that's really challenging uh, traditional uh, infrastructure where whether it's Flash or Disk or a Skylake or Cascade Lake CPU, uh, those are all great technologies. But at the end of the day, uh, I think the, the big paradigm right now that's driving the need for a, a rethink of the storage environment is the application side. Our application, our design changed a little bit how we consume storage or what do we expect from storage. But on the other hand, we had this, uh, you know, conservative storage approaches. I mean, uh, system based on uh, highly uh, coupled uh, controllers. I mean, uh, they look like uh, HA clusters, okay, from two to eight nodes. I mean, the old uh, monolithic arrays uh, or uh, the two controller arrays that we had for decades now. And uh, that was a kind of performance that was very consistent, very predictable, also easy to use, okay? Well, now this large system are designed around a share nothing scale-out cluster layout. I don't know, uh, is this compromise uh, um, acceptable? Uh, I mean, uh, aren't we losing something there for, uh, for having this scale-out fancy new design? No, it's a, it's a great question around uh, what changes. Um, I, I think the, the comment around the uh, availability of a traditional tightly coupled uh, array design is, is, is very true. Um, but the challenge is that availability came at the price of agility. And when you start thinking about uh, the amount of resources available to perform the job, when you have when you have two controller heads uh, and one of them fails, you're still running, but you've lost fifty percent of your resources. Um, uh, on the scale out side, uh, with uh, the technology like the way Deterra operates, um, if I have a ten node cluster, so I'm using ten commodity servers, uh, each one has its own media, um, and they're operating together. Then, if one of those nodes fails, I've only lost a tenth. I have nine nodes that are continuing to operate in the environment. So fundamentally, the larger the systems scale out, the opportunity is there to make them more resilient. What's what's changed and why these why this is more possible today than it's been in the past, and, and we've seen a number of storage technologies over the last 20 years try this, but what's really changed to enable this is around the networking. 
the the network ASICs are so fast. The the plumbing is easy to get right, and so um, it's it's very easy now to build a scale out storage system using modern networking that is able to deliver the predictable performance and the uh, reliability while still changing the way that the dual head architectures work and delivering significant value uh, through the storage. So you mean that the data path from the host to the media uh, where that is stored safely at the end uh, drastically changed to control design or you know, multiple control design but uh, still in a monolithic in a single box where it was a very, very simple design. Now we have scale out, but we have new technology that helps to reduce the latency, reduce the complexity somehow, because it's easier than in the past to, to, to build uh, high-speed networks uh, and so on. So you are somehow telling me that now with a microsecond uh, latency we have in the network, it's very easy to build this kind of uh, system. And with commodity hardware, also, uh, we got uh, it right. But actually, the complexity around the scale-out system is still there. I mean, uh, you, you need a lot of uh, mechanisms uh, that uh, should uh, govern all the data movement in the backend. And, uh, you know, metadata, for example. Metadata handling is something uh, really complex compared to, a, you know, a, a simple system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one of the things that makes all of this work is very smart software. Um, and, and you bring up the metadata portion of it, and that's a, a great way of distinguishing what doTERRA does versus other scale-out technologies in the marketplace. Uh, so, for example, um, if you look at the computer science of managing data at scale, um, you have to ask the, the system, where are you storing that relationship between the, the customer's requested block that you're saving um, and the physical drive where it's being saved to? And as you think about a scale-out architecture, the more drives you have, the more nodes you have, the bigger this problem gets. Um, if you just think about it in 4K terms, a, a, a 4 terabyte hard drive multiplied by... Uh, 24 per server multiplied by 10 servers is a lot of 4K blocks to track. And what we've seen is a lot of architectures use uh, a consistent hash um, and other procedural mechanisms to calculate the relationship between, you know, I'm a consumer and I'm an operating system. I have a block device. I'm going to write the uh, the header of the, the disk. I'm going to save that to the logical block address zero. And then the backend storage system has to put that somewhere. Um, and then they use a calculation technique. The, the challenge with the calculation technique is that it becomes very rigid. Um, you have to treat all of the blocks for a given uh, deployment, uh, a de de given calculation as, say, as the same. The Deterra architecture treats metadata very differently. And what we've done is we've sort of created a, a two-stage system where you've got a, a high-level... Uh, uh, routing decision, who, who owns the data, which of the nodes in the infrastructure actually have it. And then the node itself, where that data is landing, worries about the, the metadata on disk. So by, by separating those two things out, we feel that we've built a much more efficient and a much larger scale capability uh, than some of the other technologies that are out there. 
Okay, so you, you somehow overcome the limitation that usually we see on uh, uh, system like objects, so they have this very huge distributed uh, hash table that uh, has a lot of limitations in terms of, you know, uh, uh, cluster layout modifications or, or even uh, it becomes uh, more and more complex to query this uh, uh, hash table when the, the system grows. So uh, by doing a uh, it in the way you describe, you probably have a, a certain amount of ops and they are always the same. So you can get some consistency on uh, from your queries, right? Yeah, and, and it goes one step beyond that, and it's really about agility. So because the 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 system, the distributed system, is is only really cares about how data moves from from the client to the the, the to the storage. Um, and it's it's the node's local storage job to figure out which block the data is stored on and how it's protected um, on that the local context. It also means we're very agile. It means that as you think about uh, adding storage to that deployment, um, it really doesn't matter that the one that you're adding looks like anything you currently have. And And the reason why that's incredibly interesting for a lot of our customers, uh, not only does it give them a uh, a strong cost control, um, because as we know, not all flash media costs the same. Uh, a premium MVME device at a large number of terabytes is significantly more expensive than a uh, SATA flash consumer grade uh, technology. So the Deterra architecture does a great job of, of managing those different types of media through being different types of servers. And then our, our metadata handling is very good at, uh, through policy, allowing customers to say, this application should be on this type of system. And then it becomes a question of what systems you've plugged in together to, to deliver the, the storage to the application. Um, if I may, an example, um, one of the, the folks we're working with uh, is using a competitive product and they're running their enterprise business on a product that only supports two copies of data, which means that it's, it's effectively a RAID 1 uh, across servers. And as they look at their requirements and their scale, uh, they're nervous about that. With the Deterra architecture, one of our policy settings is the number of replica copies. Uh, and, and when it comes to high performance scale out block storage, replicas are preferred versus uh, other techniques such as erasure coding because of the performance implications. And so that customer is very excited about the Deterra architecture because one of the things we can do is actually have different types of systems participating in the same, uh, for the same volume. So they can have two of their replica copies on flash media and a third copy on a hybrid media. And, and we can do that in our architecture uh, because of the, the decisions we've made from a, a technology perspective, uh, and the customers are very excited by that. But that's just an example of the, uh, the agility that our technology provides. I see. And um, in a research I'm conducting for Gigaum, uh, I classified all the system capabilities in uh, three groups, table stakes, critical features, and near-term game-changing capabilities. Uh, table stakes include everything you give you give for granted in an enterprise storage system, like uh, data protection, uh, snapshots, high availability, and so on. I do not think that uh, those make uh, 
any difference uh, to the end users, or at least uh, they don't make a difference anymore. Uh, while critical features, uh, while in critical feature I put things like analytics and VME and VME over fabric, cloud integration, and so on. Um, from your point of view, looking at your customer base, what are the most interesting capabilities for your end users, and what do they expect to see from uh, the next generation of data storage system? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's, it's sort of why are we in the room? And, and I agree that uh, as we look at traditional capabilities, that sort of marketing checkboxes, um, <clears throat> there's not a lot of differentiation available between the different products, and there's typically a lot of storage products on the market. But uh, I, I like your list around um, uh, you know analytics and whatnot. Um, I don't think that there's a single capability, a single most interesting capability that jumps out uh, for users. We see different organizations struggling with different challenges. Uh, one of the things that we do at Deterra is we operate on standard protocols. And so, you know, as customers evaluate this transition from the the legacy architecture to the modern architecture, and, and just a little bit more definition, right? Legacy would be um, uh, a number of applications that that are very familiar to data center and, and architects um, like Oracle and 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 many other uh, applications that were fundamentally designed for uh, the infrastructure to provide availability. And the the modern applications are designed for the cloud and in Amazon where your storage is three nines, where they provide that availability. That's a, that's a key differentiation. So having a system um, that can support that type of difference, uh, who, who's providing the availability, is very interesting to a lot of these companies because they they need something that can, on one hand, provide full reliability for an Oracle database, hence a three-copy deployment, or uh, on the other hand, be able to uh, do rack-scale deployment so that they're not having um, uh, a challenge when a rack fails with their Cassandra deployments. So that's one aspect, but you know it, it, it all works together. So the concept of a, of a scale-out storage system built on uh, different types of nodes does require a lot of analytics internally in the system to take the weight off of the system administrators from having to figure the day-to-day -day, uh, minutia problems out. Um, and having that capability in the system allows us to react to failures, um, whether it be a rack level failure or whether it be a, a single link failure. You know, how the system reacts to that and, and, and manages that traffic is very important. Um, the cloud integration is a fantastic uh, challenge that the customers have. How do they get that data freedom between their legacy and traditional data uh, data centers and their their new cloud deployments? And and these are all things that uh, we have uh, answers to at at Deterra. And so I don't know if if customers are looking for a single most interesting capability. I, I think. To your point, there's being there's a shift in terms of what the uh, if it the the table state the the game changing technologies becoming table stakes is what we're seeing in general, and it's 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 much of a checkbox as we had previously. You know, how do you integrate with the cloud? How does your platform leverage analytics? Can you support the the new flash media, uh, not only MVME but also the 3D crosspoint from Intel? 
uh, delivered in the, the Optane uh, family today and, and coming onto the motherboard as a dim form factor in the future. Do you think that if we look at the market today and the technology available, there are some uh, um, advancement uh, that we will see in the next, uh, I don't know, 12, 18 months that will be real game changer or it will be just an evolution of what we have already? Yeah, that's an interesting question around uh, what's coming in 12 to 18 months. Um, I think the, the, the next big shift is going to be the... Uh, the 3D cross point storage on the memory bus. So this is the the Optane DIM. Uh, Intel has a new name. Forgive me if I don't remember it. Um, <clears throat> but the idea is that you can now have a server with with 24 terabytes um, of a a stable storage that is somewhere between the fastest NVMe and RAM. And one of the early use cases for this technology is for virtualization um, and offsetting traditional system RAM for the memory of VMs uh, for those uh, workloads that don't require the the current DDR4 memory bus speed. Um, I think this is just the beginning of what that technology means, but I think it's also going to take quite a while for the applications to... Uh, and when I say applications, you know, what's driving the, the data center today in a lot of ways are the open source applications. Um, and it's going to take a while for those open source applications to really respond to this, this new technology and really think through how to take the, the most advantage of it. Um, from, a, from a shared storage perspective, I think what ends up happening, the, if we look at traditional RAM prices, um, in, uh, in the market today and around databases, the, the, the IO pattern of a shared storage device historically had been dominated by reads uh, with some writes. And now we're seeing customers routinely deploy a terabyte of RAM for their database servers. And what that does is it takes most of the reads into the local cache, and it means that your storage system has to deal with writes. And so we're, we have some customers where their write workload is 80% of what the system is doing. And, and that's another thing that Deterra has done is, is we built an innovative data plane that uses a lockless coherency protocol uh, as opposed to the traditional style of having to lock uh, the, the back end in order to do updates. We can do all that at scale using traditional protocol without having to take those locks. And so... Um, that's another major problem that that scale out technology has had in the past that Dayterra has overcome, but but the point I'm I'm getting to is that the uh, the 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 pattern has shifted, and as we start thinking about what the 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 additional high performance memory is going to do or, or stable memory is going to do on these nodes, I think that's where we're going to have the the biggest change in terms of. What, what's happening in the system versus what's happening on the, the shared uh, storage context. So you, you said a lot of interesting things. Maybe now I can be a little bit more provocative and, and ask you <laughs> a couple of questions. So you, you, you mentioned the fact that memory class will, uh, storage will uh, finally happen. And I couldn't agree more in the sense that the, the signals are all there. So bringing storage closer to the CPU, faster storage close to the CPU and use it in a layered or tiered fashion would be a game changer. But actually, 
there is another part of the of this story which is uh, uh, new technologies coming in so we, we saw with the, for example with the virtualization okay uh, a lot of uh, VMware especially exposed a lot of APIs a lot of uh, uh, functionalities to the storage systems and now they can interact uh, very easily somehow uh, it's very very you know seamless to work uh, with storage okay so the 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 hypervisors knows the kind of resources that are available and associated it with the VMs that need it and, and so on. And even more so with a with a Kubernetes or you know or container orchestrators. Okay, you don't even think about storage anymore, but it's just a set of API and you just ask for the resource, you get it and you use it, and then you you know at the end of uh, maybe a few minutes later you can destroy it. So there is no human interaction anymore, and uh, somehow everything becomes more, uh, I don't know, transparent, but also flat, you know? If I can provide you that kind of resource, who cares about the backend? Uh, absolutely. And and Kubernetes is a great use case for Deterra. And and you hit the nail on the head. The, the developer consumer... Um, does not care about the back end. They do. If it's not delivering what the uh, policy states or the expectation. Um, <clears throat> but the the idea that you have an orchestration tool like Kubernetes, where um, it, l l let's break down Kubernetes versus VMware very briefly. So VMware was a server virtualization technology. The construct is I have servers, and I want to put a bunch of them on the same computer. So VMware's technology is really around that problem. And, and what does it mean to have a server that is not on bare metal and, and drive that, that operational capability? And, and in, the, in the VMware days with the, the VMFS data stores, there used to be the discussion around the IO blender because I've now taken a bunch of, of servers and I've stuck them together into the same storage profile. Um, and to your point around changes VMware's made, uh, they have been working on this problem for a long time, and they have a number of technologies to address it. Now let's look at the Kubernetes side. Kubernetes is around managing containers uh, and, and delivering a controlling platform for the operation of containers. Um, and, and fundamentally with the container, you make resource requests dynamically. Whereas if you think about traditional servers, there's nothing dynamic about a traditional server. It is physically plugged into a network. It has a physical motherboard with components. That's the paradigm that VMware was designed around. When the, in the Kubernetes space, um, the, the organizations want to be able to spin up that application, that, that, con that, that set of pods with all the rules around affinity or anti-affinity, um, all the storage requirements and networking requirements, security requirements, all enumerated and defined in that YAML file. Um, and they want to be able to do it, whether it's on-prem or in Amazon. You know, fantastic. And, and the technology uh, easily allows this. So the question becomes, what do you do from a storage perspective? Well, the, the container world is very much ephemeral at the moment. And so we, we see that the majority of, of use cases for containerization are not actually storage bound. Um, but now those organizations that have started to adopt Kubernetes are realizing the value 
of being able to declaratively deploy an application uh, and to be able to introspect that application. Uh, the security ramifications are huge when the security team has the ability to understand all the component layers of an application um, and can trigger an update through the uh, simple termination of the running pod. And when it gets rescheduled and restarted, it picks up the latest security changes. In a virtualization environment like VMware, that is much more difficult and requires a lot more coordination between the server deployment and the security team. Can they even introspect the app, the, the OS? Can I even log in? But so, so these are the driving reasons why people want access to Kubernetes. When it comes to the storage side, you know, there's, there's multiple consumers and uh, the, there's uh, multiple people involved in storage. There's the consumer, the, the developer who's saying, I want, uh, you know, 40 gigs of flash storage. Um, and then you've got the operators who are uh, making sure the system runs. And then you've got the architects who are the ones designing and deploying. So as you start looking at those different consumers and the different roles they play, um, when you look at that dual head architecture, going back to that traditional you know, storage challenge, um, they can support Kubernetes because as you mentioned, there's a, a plug-in technology, a, a connection between the Kubernetes and the storage that's well understood, it's open source, uh, it's easy to figure out. And, and now with CSI, it's even easier. Uh, that's the, the container storage uh, initiative. So, um, so now you have a situation where I can have my developers creating volumes, uh, storage requests based on their policies and, and their requirements. Um, how does your storage manage that? If you have a traditional dual head product with maybe three tiers of storage and you've got developers constantly creating and destroying, that's not what those systems were designed for. You know, can they even create things fast enough? Um, can they deliver different qualities of service uh, at the storage level? Not only IOPS control, but also media control. And what do you do when your Kubernetes environment scales out to 50 hosts and you've got a dual head array? You got to go buy more heads and another array and then more storage. And now you have to figure out where am I going to place this next one? Is that figured out by Kubernetes? Is that the driver? Is that the user? That's where the, the scale out technology of Deterra, where we have a control plane um, that's, that's basically the brains of the operation that not only mitigates any kind of failures uh, and, and helps keeps the system running optimally, uh, but also allows us to say, oh, your Kubernetes environment is scaled out to 50 nodes. You know, our analytics can tell you how many nodes your uh, storage environment needs to scale out to, and more importantly, what those nodes need to be in order to be optimal. I mean, everyone would love to deploy NVMe Flash at scale and just be done with it. Um, but organizations that are are truly operating at scale are very mindful about the cost factor. And so that all this stuff sort of comes together and, and Kubernetes is a great example of modern uh, and, and in a lot of ways, modern is self-service and how you build a storage system to react to that. It's a, it's a serious challenge and it's a challenge that Deterra solves. So uh, somehow uh, at the, the beginning of your answer, you, you, you mentioned the, uh, uh, operators, architects, and developers, but actually you didn't mention another role, which uh, in this case uh, is, uh, is the one that uh, benefits most from, from this, which is the guy that pays for, uh, for the storage. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the the financial aspect is is huge, right? And and you know, I, I think the the companies that have embraced software defined storage in in every instance, especially at scale. No, not every company has scale, but the ones that have embraced it at scale, the financial impact is staggering in what they've been able to do with that dollar, right? Um, if if your dollar gets you half a gigabyte because of your platform, um, you know that's that's okay. Uh, if that dollar gets you uh, a usable gigabyte or two usable gigabytes, um, and, and that's across all applications, whether data reduction is there or not, um, that's pretty interesting. So, um, you know, different companies operate at different scales; they have different challenges. But what we've seen is that. Uh, companies that are deploying traditional storage technologies, uh, their CFOs and and leadership has been very happy with the price <laughs> of the uh, of moving to moving to commodity hardware uh, with uh, intelligent software for their uh, for the storage. Absolutely. Another thing that is always overlooked, I think, is quality of service. I mean, uh, uh, I was okay with uh, the lack of quality of service when when we had the two controller system or, you know, uh, even a, one, uh, one of these big systems like VMAX or HDS, uh, USPs. Uh, and uh, b- because most of the workloads were, were very similar, sometimes they are connected to very few machines, okay? But now... Uh, especially with scale out system, okay. So there are more storage infrastructure than storage systems. I, I mean that uh, they they can be pretty large. They can serve <coughs> traditional workloads. I mean uh, storage that is uh, bare metal host, sorry, and uh, and then uh, virtualized uh, infrastructure as well as containers. They work very differently from each other. And at the end of the day, uh, I think that now. Uh, quality of service is one of these things that is really necessary. I know on the other side, everybody tells me, look, uh, with the with the flash that you can have today, with the, with the performance brought by flash, nobody really cares. But I'm still there, you know, every now and then looking at this aspect of, of storage and still struggling to understand uh, both when I talk with customer and vendors where they're the truth is. What's your opinion on on this? Yeah, I mean, uh, quality of service is a is a bit of a loaded term. I mean, at the highest level, all it means is is you have a service and what's its quality, right? Um, a lot of the implementation of that historically um, had been through media selection, and then also through uh, slowing things down on an IOPS or throughput basis to say that I'm going to provide this application 10,000 IOPS uh, and I'm going to put it on disks. Um, and, and I agree around the the traditional uh, systems and the challenge there, the, the dual head architecture, and it goes back to limited resources. Um, as you start thinking through the problem at scale and, and asking, okay, how much throughput can I get to the array? And how much does it cost me? Um, you can get arrays that can drive a, a significant amount of throughput, but if you're driving that throughput, you lose the IOPS, 
because there's only so many network connections that a dual head array can support. And even if you look at some of the technologies that could go beyond two heads and build a uh, tightly coupled eight node storage system, this is like our VMAXs and, and whatnot, the director class, um, they could support significantly more bandwidth. But then you have the problem of all that bandwidth is coming back to one place in the data center. Um, so when, when if you have the infinite amount of bandwidth and the infinite amount of storage performance, uh, then you start looking at how do I meter out an individual volume's capability so that uh, it doesn't overrun the system resources. And that's really the value of the of that that IOP level QoS. In in the you know to, to sort of bring it all together, right? In that server virtualization model where everything is is static and controlled. Um, it's good to have those limits, but they become less necessary because you can sort of architect around that. And a self-service model like Kubernetes, where the number of volumes that are going to exist is almost unknown because you don't know how your developers are gonna consume it, then you really need to start putting on rails and making sure that you have uh, uh, quota systems um, and, and that includes around the performance so that you do allocations and you manage through that that allocation. And whether that's a capacity allocation or a volume count or a QoS in terms of you know, number of IOPS, um, you have to have that. And then you start thinking about a, a storage system that's doing both of these things at the same time. It's supporting uh, a VMware traditional uh, deployment and it's also supporting Kubernetes, then it becomes even more important that you have good quality of service and that you can say, you know, this tenant is fenced off from this other tenant and, and here are the different technologies that can be deployed to get there. So I think QoS is significantly more important in a cloud style deployment uh, and a self-service style model where the, there's no planning cycle for the, develop, for the deployment of an application. Right, you made the, the comment earlier about the people that pay for it. Well, one of the the ways that uh, traditional server architecture is managed is you open a ticket, and the ticket outlines what you need to have, and then someone goes buys a server, they rack it, they install stuff, and then they start your VM. And we've heard stories uh, going back to the bare metal world of you know six months before you got your resource in the in the virtualization world. Um, it's anywhere between days to months, depending on the organization. And, and in this, in this self-service Kubernetes cloud world, um, you're, you're talking about, you mentioned minutes before, we're looking at seconds, that, that the number of seconds it takes to deliver a volume uh, is important. And so uh, it's very difficult to, to sort of build a single storage platform that can actually do all of those things at the same time and that's what we think we have at Deterra is a technology that can actually do all of this at the same time. Yes, I see. I see your point, and uh, I, I agree that uh, and somehow it all depends on the use cases and uh, and uh, how the storage is uh, really consumed. So I think that we can. Uh, I think that now it's uh, time to wrap up. But uh, wow, it was a great conversation. Thank Bill again to to joining me today. And uh, maybe you want to, to give a few links about uh, uh, the Terra on the web, Twitter accounts uh, uh, for you and, uh, and your company. So if uh, our audience wants to 
continue the conversation online, they they can follow you and uh, ask you questions. Sure. Um, the uh, the official Twitter is at uh, Deterra Inc. Uh, our CEO is Guy Churchwood, uh, and he's at Guy Churchwood uh, at on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow us on LinkedIn. Um, our webpage, Deterra.io. Uh, has access to all our social media. Uh, we have uh, videos up on YouTube as well, um, describing the architecture. Uh, as you mentioned, the Storage Tech Field Day. We've done a number of Storage Tech Field Days where we've deep dive into various aspects and answered questions. So there's a lot of material online. Uh, people are welcome to reach out to me via LinkedIn as well. Um, and uh, you know we're happy to answer any questions. Very good. Uh, thank you again and bye-bye. Thank you so much for having us. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Key criteria for evaluating enterprise storage is the focus of a new series of reports Enrico wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.